So great. I love the series that we're in, Passion and Purpose, and we kicked it off last week. If you missed that, I, you know my tendency is to try to rewind my introduction and preach the message from the week before, and so I'm going to try to do that now in a hurry. Um, the whole idea of Passion and Purpose is this, that God has wired you up uniquely. Isn't that awesome today to be able to think that God put unique gifts unique abilities, a unique system of thinking inside of you that you're not like anybody else in this building today, and that's for a reason. So if you've ever felt in life, like, I think I have a unique gift, you do have a unique gift. I have a unique aptitude. I see life differently, and my brain computes things differently. That's because you are unique. God made you the way that you are. And if you've ever felt something stirring inside of you, it's very likely that that passion that's stirring in your heart today has been put in your heart by God Almighty so that you can serve a unique role on planet Earth. God has given everybody a unique passion. We described it last week as this, that passion is the unique gifting, aptitude, wiring, and opportunity that God has given each one of us. To put it into Rubik's Cube terms, it means that God has put you in in a square on the cube. He has a role for you to play, a gifting for you that's different than anybody else's gifting on planet Earth possibly, an opportunity, all that coming together, that's God wiring you up for a very special passion on Earth. And in in the church world, we're just trying to say with this series, if you're feeling all that stirring inside, that's more than likely God doing the stirring, God doing the gifting, God doing the wiring, God making you uniquely you. And what he wants you to do today is to embrace the fact that God has put a unique passion in your heart. He loves it. You love it. It's a double win for you and for God because he made you the way you are to be the person that you are on planet Earth. That's passion. It's whatever you do. We were looking at that in Colossians 3.17. So just to rewind to our foundational verse, Paul writes it like this. Colossians 3, verse 17. And this will sort of be the anchor for all of our time together in this series. But this is the way Paul says it. He says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The whatever is a big phrase. The whatever is your place on the cube. You say, well, I'm a blue top corner kind of person. That's a whatever. God put that in you. You can do that. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, run after that passion. But then he gives us a purpose because God doesn't want us just to live our lives and at the end of our lives go, well, God made me really good at this. He, he gave me an opportunity for this and an aptitude for this. And I spent my whole life doing this so that at the end of my life, the sum of my life was me doing whatever it was God gifted me to do. That's not a good enough purpose for life. The purpose for life is greater. And our purpose for life is this, that we would reflect glory back to the one who gave us the gift, who put the aptitude in us, who wired us the way we're uniquely wired, and who gave us the opportunity, A, to be alive, and B, to intersect the various paths that lead us on the journey that God has for us. That is our purpose. Our purpose is to make Jesus known. Our passion is to do what we're good at. Aren't you glad that God is the kind of God who wants you to live your life doing what you love, but doing it for a greater purpose so that it can live into forever? I love that God is that kind of God. I love it because, you know, sometimes growing up, you think God is like, he's never going to let me do what I really want to do. God's going to make me do what I don't want to do because that's the way God is, right? He's kind of got that twisted God mind. And somehow we've all grown, grown up thinking, I know that I love this. I'm good at this. I have a passion for this, but God's going to make me do that. And God's saying, no, no, no. I want you to do what you love. I just want you to do it for a purpose that outlives your life. What a great gift today that God is saying that to us as his people. Do what you love. Just make sure you understand that you can do what you love for a purpose that outlives your story and your glory. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our purpose 
is that we would make his name known everywhere on earth to everybody on earth. That is the purpose that God is calling you and me into today. So I want to back up and talk about that for a moment because the passion part we get, but the purpose part, sometimes people can step back and go, wait a minute, if God is so great and Christ is so amazing and his name is so awesome, why do we need to be all that worked up about making the name of Jesus famous? Passion says that phrase a lot. We want to be the generation that makes the name of Jesus famous, or we want to be the the generation that lives for the glory of God. I got asked by a reporter a few months ago heading into the Dome that question, and the reporter was just coming from, I think, a a normal way of thinking mindset. really wasn't antagonistic, but just said, if Jesus is so great, why is it that passion feels compelled to make Jesus famous? Isn't Jesus already famous enough? And I thought, that's a great question. What we're trying to say is this. We're not trying to make Jesus great. We're not really even trying to make the name of Jesus great because newsflash today, the name of Jesus is already the greatest name there is. He came from heaven to earth. He was the creator of the universe. He gave his life for us, was raised up from the dead. The scripture says that he might have the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So he already has the greatest name. He has always had the greatest name, and he's always going to have the greatest name. Our mission in life is not to make the name of Jesus great. His name already is great. Our mission is to make the name of Jesus known, to make the great name of Jesus known to people. And that's not our language, that's God's language. Because as much as he is great, he isn't known. And as much as his name is the name above all names, do you understand that there are billions and billions of people on the planet today who don't even know his name? And so he's saying, this is the mission. You fulfill your passion, run after what you're good at, pour your heart into the things that I've uniquely gifted and wired you to do, go through the doors of the opportunities that I open for you, but do it with a greater purpose, that purpose being to make my name known everywhere on earth to everybody on earth. That is our mission today. Are we all together in that today? Because that is a core value for the people of God, that we're all linked into that idea. Why do I have this gift? Why do I have this aptitude? Why am I good at the things I'm good at? Why do I have the opportunities I have? And why do you? So that together, collectively, we can be a part of the story unfolding that everywhere on earth and to every person on earth, the name of Jesus is known. That's God's language. Isaiah 66, the end of this amazing prophetic book where our anchor verse, Isaiah 26, 8, resides, the very last chapter, chapter 66, this is what God says in verse 19. He said, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations and to the distant islands, look at what he says, that have never heard of my, say it with me, of my fame or seen my glory. These that I send, they will proclaim my glory among the nations. So there is this idea that God is famous, but he's calling on us to proclaim his fame and his glory to those who haven't seen it. The same in this other little Old Testament book called Habakkuk, verse 2, it says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Remember them in our day, and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So there's this idea that that collectively we can lift up the name of Jesus, even though the name is great, that we can continue to lift that name up. It's like in Atlanta, Georgia, we're proud of Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you're a Chick-fil-A fan or not, but we sort of, we, we do claim it. It's from here, and it isn't everywhere in America, and we love that. So a lot of people hearing this talk right now, you don't even really know what I'm talking about, and, and that's a sad thing for you, because Chick-fil-A is amazing. Here's their statement, pretty bold statement. We didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. 
I mean, I, I thought maybe they invented the chicken. I don't know, because they perfected it in such an amazing way. But do you ever, have you ever tried to win somebody over to the Chick-fil-A cause, your relatives that live in some state that doesn't have it, and you're like, what is it? And you're talking about it, and you're talking it up, and you're promoting it in every way you can, and you're celebrating the beauty of it all and how it's perfectly fried in that pressure cooker contraption that they've got and somehow put it in that little foil bag with that one pickle on it, you know, just makes it work some how it's just all working together. And when you do that, you're not making Chick-fil-A great or not great. You're just trying to make Chick-fil-A known that you think it is great. Now, Chick-fil-A has to make itself great or not great, because eventually there's going to be a conversion moment, and your friend's going to be in the drive-thru, and you're going to hand them the deal, and they're going to open the bag, and they're going to take a bite, and they're going to go, eh, or they're going to go, wow, I see what you're talking about. Chick-fil-A has got to be great in that moment. Your job isn't to make it great. You already believe it's great. Your job is to make its name known, and they're counting on you to do that, by the way. They are counting on you and me to do our part to lift up the revolution of the cows and to bring the message of Chick-fil-A to the whole wide world. And when you do that and I do that, the voice is bigger. It's the same way with the, the Rubik's Cube. You, you may live in this little area. This may be your passion, your gifting, your calling, your aptitude. And I may be in this one over here. But somehow when our voices unite, there's power in that. And our united voices, although we have differing passions, God's goal in the house isn't to get everybody to do the same thing. God's goal in the house is to get everybody to do what it is that they're good at doing for the same purpose. And when we do that, our voices collectively are stronger than our voices individually, and the name of Jesus is amplified more by us than it is by me. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. If you have scripture, turn uh, to these couple of verses. I want you to see them with me. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. And this is the way Paul writes it. He's talking about the result of the gospel, the result of what Jesus has done. And I just preface that. I know we've got a lot of guests here today. There are people here today that are just thinking about Jesus and thinking about faith. And you're so welcome at Passion City Church today. And just to put a, a bigger umbrella over this message today, this message is to be heard through the filter of the fact that God loves us, created us, gave himself for us to lift us out of less and into more, gave himself for us to, to free us from sin and give us life. And so that's the umbrella, the lens by which we're thinking about how God wants us to live. And so at the end of Romans, there's been a lot of that working of God, that gospel of Christ in our lives. And then he comes to verse 5 and he says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Now, that's an awesome encouragement in and of itself, that God gives endurance, and some of you may want to just reach out and hold on to that today, and he gives encouragement, and the result of that is that he gives us together a spirit of unity. So the church is not a, a random collection of individual mavericks. The church is a God-woven tapestry of unified hearts with a common purpose. And you may be a doctor or a small plants repairman named Jojo. It, I don't know who you are or what your lane is or what you're good at. It doesn't matter. You and I are not linked together by our passion. We're linked together by our purpose. We're not linked together by what we're good at. We're linked together by the purpose for which we live our lives. And that fabric of unity is the work of the God who gives us endurance and encouragement in our lives. And then here comes the outcome of it in verse 6. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that's our mission right there. So that with one mind, that's a unified way of thinking about life and one heart and with one voice together collectively saying, you know what our mission is? Not to make the name of Jesus great, just to make sure the great name of Jesus is known in the world. And together collectively, we are one voice. 
It's kind of like if you could solve a Rubik's Cube, which I've never been good at, and you can get all the colors on one side, then the oranges are going orange, and the yellows are going yellow, and the reds are going red, and the white's going white, and the blue's going blue, and it all is more unified and a little bit louder if you can get the whole thing solved, which I I never could figure out how to do. I'd like to try it, though. I, I don't know. It's a risk, maybe. But can anybody here solve a Rubik's Cube? We got any Rubik's Cube solvers? Okay, we got one right there. Okay, I have a message to finish, okay? So um, we're not talking about like if we get you some Chick-fil-A, they're closed, so we'll have to wait till tomorrow that you can kind of get comfortable up here in an hour or so you can figure it out. I I don't know. I'm trying to gauge how far I've got to go. Um, Can anybody solve this in like a minute? I mean, I know that's kind of a crazy thought. Maybe, maybe so. A minute? You think you can do a minute? Less than a minute? Maybe? Okay. All right, we'll try it. How, 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 y'all want to see if we, if we can do it or not? All right, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. No, no, all right, don't be shy. These are wonderful, God-loving people up here. What's your name? Ethan. This is Ethan. Ethan, I'm Louie. Everybody say hi to Ethan. Ethan, come on up here. Um, so, uh, Ethan, I, I've got to give a talk. So, um, do you think you can work it out? You think so? Okay. So everybody, for Ethan, do you want us to count you down like three, two, one, go or something like that? That sound good? You guys up for it? Okay. There you go. Um, uh, oh, look at him. He's, he's sizing it up already. That's pretty... Uh, maybe I should have done that before I started. I just start turning stuff. Okay. Here we go. Three for Ethan. Two, one. Uh, you were going to count down with me. Ethan's <laughs> trying to solve a Rubik's Cube. So can you guys count down with me? Okay. Breathe, people. So, I just realized I hadn't breathed since you started doing that. <laughs> yeah, people are like, you're getting close. You're getting close. I can feel it over here. Congratulations, man. That is awesome. That's impressive. How in the world did you do that? And, and I was playing with this thing earlier. The thing doesn't even turn very good. I don't know where we got this Walmart or somewhere. I mean, like, look right there. The thing's not even moving. You're frustrated by that because this is like a cheapo Walmart version, right? Yeah. Was that awesome or what? Do you see what I'm talking about? So... Just in, in fairness to Ethan, uh, just so you'll know, uh, Ethan is a world-ranked Rubik's Cube competitor. <laughs> and these things are no good right here, but this is what uh, Ethan competes with. And so, um, Ethan, we're going to just let you show us what you can do, because I know this is really going to make you happier than that other thing did, that I really wanted you to do a real one. I like it when I was doing this earlier and I was messing it up, he, he turned away because he couldn't look because he was memorizing what I was doing to it while I was doing all this to it. Okay, you count him down and we'll see what Ethan can do. Hang on, hang on, hang on. He wants to look at it for a second when you're ready. Okay.
I love it. I love it. Why don't you just stay standing for a minute because we're not done just yet, okay? And uh, you're going to want to stand up, those of you standing, or you can sit down, go ahead. I love it when he's done, he goes. <laughs> That's my favorite part. Okay, um, I'm going to just ask you to do one more thing. I'm trying not to twist them the wrong way. Okay, are you watching me? What are you doing? You want me to do one? <laughs> I used to do these in my sleep. All right, Ethan. L race you. Okay, left-handed. One-handed, left-handed. You, me, both hands. Okay? You count us down. Unbelievable. I, I cheated. There's mine over there. <laughs> Great job. So awesome. Thank you so much. Let's give Ethan a big hand, everybody. Woo! I am pretty sure he just did that with one hand behind his back. Impressive. See, everybody's got a unique gifting, <laughs> aptitude, wiring, and opportunity. And then Ethan also worked really, really hard at it, which is a part of the message we're going to share in a couple of weeks. But do you notice how that at the end of the day, the message is louder? The combination of our voices is louder when God aligns all of us with a common purpose. And so how does that happen? It just happens when we awaken to this idea. And this is the big idea today. We awaken to the idea that God wants to reach all people. Now, when I say that, I, I know I'm running the risk of being incredibly elementary, but I don't, I don't think we can skip over that too fast today. We embrace the idea today, each one of us, that God wants to reach all people. And if God wants to reach all people, here's what we need to see happen. We need all people to do all things to reach all people. We need all people. So no one can really opt out today. Not one person can opt out today. Because if you opt out, you're going to dilute our opportunity to reach all people because you have a way of reaching some people that nobody else in the building can reach. Because of your unique gifting, your wiring, your aptitude, and the opportunity God has given you, you have a role to play. So that if all people are going to be reached, all people have to do all things. If we all get in the same square, we're not going to reach all people. If we start comparing ourselves against each other and say, well, you know, maybe God wants us all to do something spiritual with our lives, and so we all need to get on the same track and in the same little passion and the same journey, and we all try to get in the same square, it's not going to work. God needs all of us to do all kinds of things. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I want you to turn there with me. Now, let me just give a little background of what's happening here. Paul grew up in a Jewish context, and he was a very big-time Jew. He, was, he went to the right schools, right education, right opportunity. He was a leader of the Jewish faith until he met Jesus, and he realized Jesus was the answer of the Jewish faith. He was the one prophesied about. He was the Messiah that was coming from God. He was the fulfillment of God's promise and the final sacrifice for the sins of the world. And Paul had a conversion to Christ. He, he, he went from being only Jewish to being a Jewish believer in Jesus. 
And when he did, he started out on a mission in life. Now, he also had a passion. He had a job. He was a tent maker. He had a role to play in life. And we'll talk about that a little bit in the weeks to come, too. But his purpose was very clear. His purpose was that his voice was to be raised up to proclaim the gospel. And so in doing that, he had a strategy, if you will, that sounded a lot like what we're talking about today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. This is Paul talking about his mission and what he's about. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, those who are still living with this, you know, you got to perform and measure up through the law. To those people, those under the law, I became like one under the law. But then parentheses, though I myself am not under the law. He's just wanting to make sure you know, God has changed my life, but I'm not above going back to those who still haven't experienced what I've experienced in trying to get in their world. And then he goes further, so that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those not having the law, that's the people out here who just don't know anything about what God's trying to do. I have, to those not having the law, I became as one not having the law. Though, he amplifies again, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. What is he saying? He's saying, even though I am free, I make myself a slave. I'm I'm a free man in Christ, but I'm going to make myself a slave to all men in order to reach some people. So to to those who are under the law, I'm going to get in their world and think like and understand what it means to be under the law. Oh, parentheses, I'm not under the law, but I'm going to get under in the mindset of people under the law to help save some of them. And to those who've never had any law, I want to get in the mindset of those who've never had any law. Although I'm not under the law, I am under Christ. You see how he's trying to say, I'm changed, but I'm reaching back. I'm changed, but I'm reaching back. I'm not becoming what I used to be, but I'm reaching back for those I used to know. I'm not going back, I'm reaching back. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And that's what God wants us to move into. Now, some of you are not ready to do that. There's always the dilemma of faith. I become a Christian. I put my faith in Christ. He starts changing my life, and I immediately start thinking, I want to go back to my friends, and I want to tell my friends about Jesus. And you got to be careful because you got to be strong. you got to be rooted, grounded. you got to be woven into the community of faith and have wisdom and maturity to know how to go back and reach back to those people that you used to live with. But Paul's giving us the principle. He's saying, look, I don't want to go back to my former life, but I want to reach back into my former world, and I want to win people for Christ. Just a little practical thought right there. I mean, if you, if you came out of a partying world, and you're meeting Jesus, and stuff's changing, and he's doing things in you that the party scene never could do, that relationships couldn't do, and all of a sudden, your heart's being changed, and you're like, I got to go back, and I got to go reach my friends. I want to say, that's the heart of God. Now, you may not want to reach them by going back to the club that you used to party with them in. I got to reach my friends, so I'm going to go start going back and hanging out at the club again. You might just want to meet them for lunch. (laughs) And if they're not up by lunch, meet them for an early dinner before they're heading to the club. Because you got to use wisdom in that. But do you see the heart in that? The heart is God is changing me. I'm going, no, I want to reach back for them and to rescue them out of the future that is before them and into what God is promising to them. He's saying that's the heart of God. And he said, that's my heart. Even though I'm a free man, I'm choosing to make myself a servant to all men, because I want to save some people. So to the Jews, I become like a Jew. To those under the law, I become like those under the law. To those without any law, I become like those without any law. Verse 22, to the weak, I become weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. 
I do all this, he says, for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. It's, it's understanding that God is asking you to step into the story. He's inviting you to step into the story. When Jesus sent out his followers, he sent them to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. That means to us he sends us here, there, and everywhere. And so in God's economy, it's not so much where you go, it's why you go. It's not that you go to a specific destination. It's that as you go to whatever destination you go to, that you're thinking, I want to become all things to all people that by all means I might win some people to Jesus. And when you and I embrace that idea, I'm telling you, that's when the revolution begins in the kingdom of God. And, and God may call you to Kazakhstan. And at Passion City Church, we, we want to always lift up the possibility of that, the probability of that, the beauty of that. And we want to celebrate you and your family as you become a, what we would call a traditional missionary. And you're going to leave Atlanta, Georgia, move to Central Asia. You're going to plant your family. You're doing it all intentionally for one purpose, so that the Kazakhs can hear the name of Jesus. You're not going there to make his name great. You're going there because his name is great, and you want to make that great name known in Kazakhstan, and if you do that at Passion City Church, we are going to cheer for you, celebrate you, try to resource you. The people around you in your community are going to try to get behind you. We are going to cover you. We're going to champion you. If we can, we'd come and visit you. We are going to celebrate that moment. Why would we do that? Because less than one out of every hundred people in Kazakhstan have ever heard the name of Jesus in a context like you have and I have. And so we got to have somebody rise up and say, what God's calling me to do is to make his name known in Kazakhstan. And off you go. But on the, on the very next breath, God may call somebody else to make his name known at Kimberly Clark. And, and his calling on your life may be that I'm supposed to Go to Kimberly Clark and take this position, and in that role, fulfill my passion, do a great job, yes, but in that role to make the name of Jesus known at Kimberly Clark. That's my purpose for being there, and God's not going to say, well, the Kazakhs are going to hear about Jesus, and the Kazakhstan family, they're going to get a big reward, and you're just at Kimberly Clark, you're going to get a real small reward, because that's not near as amazing in the kingdom of God as going to Kazakhstan, and that's right where the enemy wants to start creating that false dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. You can say, you know what? God hasn't called us to Kazakhstan. If he did, we will go. Right now, he's called us to Kimberly Clark, and we're going to Kimberly Clark. We're going to do our job, fulfill our mission. We're going to honor our commitments there. But our reason, our purpose is to make Jesus known at Kimberly Clark. That's what we're called to do. Not, well, how, what, what do you do? Well, I work at Kimberly Clark. Well, what do you do there? Well, I'm a well, blah, 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 blah. Well, how'd that all happen? Well, you know, I, I, whatever, whatever. And I used to work for so-and-so and such and such and such and such. And we were in Cleveland and we got this opportunity and we got this job offer. My wife knew this guy that knew this guy, this guy. And we had this thing, we did the deal. We came here and we, you know, they made me a great offer and it's great for my family. And it's a good opportunity for us. And it was a good step and we want to get closer to home. And my cousin lives in Atlanta. And so, you know, we're here and we're at Kimberly Clark. And you just want to say to that person, that is the most uninspiring story I have ever heard. <laughs> totally normal, just uninspiring. Because there's nothing about that story that says, you know why I'm at Kimberly Clark? Do, do you know Jesus? Can we talk openly? Because you're smart enough to know if the person really doesn't know Jesus, you don't want to lead with this. So you may ask, you know, do you know Christ? Yeah, of course I know Christ. Yes, and we're on the same page here. I'll tell you why I'm at Kimberly Clark, because God put me at Kimberly Clark. That's why I'm there. Now, here's how I got there. They had 80 people apply for eight positions. I got one. I got to figure God wanted me there. 
We have cousins here, but you know what? It wasn't about that. It wasn't about just being comfortable and just because it was a nice package and just because it was an easy choice. We felt like God was placing us there at Kimberly Clark. And when I walked through the door on my very first day, I knew I was there on a mission that everybody on the planet, everywhere on the planet, would have an opportunity at some point to hear the greatness of the name of Jesus and to hear his fame. That's why I'm at Kimberly Clark. Now, if that's you, that's awesome. But you, if that's you, don't wear a fish pen the first day. And if you're wearing one, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I, I, I'll back off a little bit and say, if God leads you to wear a fish pen, by all means, wear a fish pen. Get it stitched on your lapel. You know, get a sign. I, I don't know. But, but what God wants you to do is to go through the door and say to your boss, your supervisor, your team leader, I am here to do everything I can do to serve the vision God has given you for this company. I will work hard. I'll change the atmosphere here. I'll be a positive influence on this team. I will contribute. Nothing you ask me to do is too small, and nothing you ask me to do is too great. I am here to lean in with everything I've got for the sake of Kimberly Clark. And he says, where'd you come from? He said, I'm just happy to be here. And then in your mind, you're going for the name of Jesus. I'm here to make Jesus known. I'm here with a purpose. And I'm going to live out my passion here because I'm good at what I'm good at. And I will be the sales leader in our area. You just watch me go because I got some aptitude. I can do this behind my back with one hand better than most of you can do it. But that's not my purpose. That's my passion. And so whether it's Kazakhstan or Kimberly Clark, honestly, that's not the big question. The question is, do you have a purpose in where you are? It could be neither of those. It could be Kennesaw State University. I'll just keep going with K's. It could be the Kansas City Royals, for crying out loud. And if you can get there, then get there. It could be a kindergarten classroom or Cole's department store. It doesn't matter. You could just be named Karen. But whatever it is that God has wired you up to do, God is saying, go do that and become all things to all men that by all means we might save some. It's all of us doing all things. Do you understand that, that you have a unique role in that, right? A unique place in that story. Does anybody work anywhere where you have a fob or an access card or a little keypad code to get into your office or the elevator or the parking deck or something? Can you just raise your hands? I don't want to invite you up here and do anything weird. Could you just hold your hand up really, really high? You have some kind of a thing. How many of you have like really cool access? Like some of the people where you work don't have what you have. You've got like the special thing. Can you just keep them up? Because I know you're proud of it. That's really cool. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I don't have a fob to where you work. So it's not like it's my job. Well, you're the pastor. Don't we pay you to... Tell everybody about Jesus? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? We're here, we got real jobs, and aren't you supposed to be going around telling people about Jesus? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? You go to all people, and you tell everybody on planet Earth about Jesus? That's what pastors do, isn't it? It is what pastors do, but hello, I don't have access to your parking deck. I do not have a fob into your building. I cannot get on your elevator, and I can't go down the executive corridor that your little thing gets you into. You're the only person in our house that has that access. And so if those people are going to hear about Jesus, I'm not going to be the guy to do it unless I have to break the law and sneak in and stand around the corner and wait before the door shuts and stick my foot in there and then try to get past security. And I'm not above that, but that's not the best plan for how that's going to work. You know, I've been wrestling with this through a friend of mine, not wrestling, but just talking it through. He's a professional athlete, and he loves Jesus, and his heart is blowing up for Jesus. And he said, I don't care about playing X anymore. I just want to tell people about Jesus. I, 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 that's all I care about. I just want to, can I just travel with you, hang out with you? Let's just tell people about Jesus, and I don't care about this. And I'm like, oh, time out. Let's back up a second, and let's make sure we're hearing the voice of God here, because there's only 300 people in America that can do what this guy does. 
You know, Chris and I have been on this tour, and we go to these arenas where they play professional sports, and I'm a snooper by nature, so I'm always trying to get into the locker room. You know, that's kind of my goal every time we go somewhere. might be the Indiana Pacers, you know, basketball team, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm close, you know, but I got to wear that security guard goes on break. He goes on break. I slide in the hallway. I'm down the hallway. I've turned a quarter. I'm looking at closed circuit. Yeah, I, I know. They're not going to arrest me. I'm there, you know, on tour. I have an all-access pass, but I finally get to the door, and it's like, there it is, the holy grail of the Indiana Pacers, you know, and it's an awesome door, typically, big double door thing with some kind of sliding little thing here, and it's got a little keypad, but I'm looking for how do I get into the locker room. I'm not above trying another way in or seeing if there's a trainer's door that was left open. Or, and I'm not going in there. I'm not taking anything. I just want to look in there. You know, I just want to put one foot in there, maybe two feet, or maybe get out in the middle where the basketball is in the carpet in the middle of the deal. But you never can get in. You can get up to the door. I, I go to all the doors. I'm standing at the door. Can't get in the door. The only way you get in the door is if you're on the team. You can be coach, assistant coach, trainer, doctor, general manager, president, But if you're not, you're not going in there. Now, I've been in a few locker rooms, but as a guest, as a chaplain or something like that, I'm there short term and they know it and I know it. But you're not going in there unless you're one of them. And that's why God is saying, look, you need to embrace this idea that God has given you a unique opportunity, a unique moment in life, a unique gifting and calling in life, and you're the only person who can go through that door. So there's no one else to look at in the building today and say, well, you do it. You, you come reach the guys in my office. We're like, we can't. You, you come reach my brother-in-law. Can't. You, you come and reach... The person is living in my, my dorm complex. I can't, can't get in your dorm. I cannot get in your dorm on your college campus. And most of the people in this room can't. That's why the power comes when we embrace the invitation of God to step into what he's called us to do. And we take all of our unique passions in life and we yield them into one common stream. It's called triangulation, if I can just give you a word around it. Do you know what triangulation is? Anybody here? Some of you business managers probably know what triangulation is, or if you're a team leader, you gotta know what this means. Triangulation is this, you never take the first source of anything as fact. Some of you, that was worth coming for today, right? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? You do this in real life. Somebody comes to you and says, oh, did you hear about so-and-so and so-and-so? Did you hear blah, 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 blah? And you're like, really? Oh, amazing. Then you see somebody a few days later, and you're like, did you hear about so-and-so and so-and-so? I mean, I'm not gossiping. I'm here just to tell you just so you can pray, and we can lift it up to the Lord together. <laughs> but did you hear about so-and-so and so-and-so? Whatever, 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 whatever. They're like, oh, amazing. Can I just tell you that when you do that 99 times out of 99, you are not telling the whole story? Do you know why? Because it's very difficult to get the whole story every single time. So what do you do? Somebody comes in your office, you're a business manager at your job. Someone comes in your office and says, man, I, I just need to tell you something. Uh, so-and-so that works down in such and such, man, I'm telling you what, we have problems, blah, blah, blah. We got to get rid of them. They are so awful. Here's what I've heard. If you're a good manager, you're going to go, thank you so much for telling me that. I really appreciate you coming to me. That's awesome. Let's keep this between me and you. I'll look into it, and that person leaves, and you're going to buzz somebody else on the phone, right? And you're going to say, hey, tell me about so-and-so. Don't you work with them and whatever, whatever, whatever? Oh, my word. She's amazing. Incredible. I wish we had more people like her here. You're like, hmm, I think I'm going to call somebody else. Didn't you work with so-and-so last month on the project in Boston? Oh, I did. I wish we had so five more of her around here. Incredible. In the office, out of the office. She's become a friend of mine. Incredible. Hmm. Thank you. Hey, I was just going to ask you, do you know so-and-so down at so-and-so? I do. Why are you asking? I just was wondering, what's it like working with her? What's your experience been like? Fantastic. She's incredible. Off the charts. We were just with them this weekend. What's your next call? First guy. Hey, do you mind coming back down to my office? So tell me a little bit more about your relationship with uh, Peggy. Well, you know, I, 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 I. 
So how, how is it that you felt like such and such and such? Well, I mean, I didn't hear that directly, but a lot of people are saying that. So, so did you actually see her steal the money? No, I mean, I didn't see it, like, see it, see it, but I, you know. Like, well, is there something going on between you and Peggy? Like, anything personal maybe like coming into this? And before you get to the bottom of it, you've triangulated. And somewhere in the middle of all of that was the truth. That's the way life works. Somewhere in the middle of what you said and what you said and what you said is where the truth is. Almost every time. And I think that's the way people looking at us in the church, followers of Christ, I think that's the way they think, and that's what they need. They need some triangulation going on. Because, you know, if, if your dental hygienist is, is a Jesus freak and you, and you don't know Jesus, and every time you get in there, she's telling you all about Jesus. First, she cram all the stuff in your mouth, and then they get you down on the chair, and you can't go anywhere, and you got a mask thing on, and, you know, there's machines running, and there's stuff happening, and you're already a little bit nervous anyway because there's metal objects being stuck into your face. And so you're there, and they're, oh, and anyway, and I love Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you're like, yeah, I got to get out of here. My dental hygienist is a Jesus freak. A religious freak. And so you leave and you're going downtown on Marta and you sit down and finally there's a normal person sitting next to you and you're like, this person is a normal person. You know how you can tell when you see people out in public if they're normal or not? This person is normal. I feel comfortable sitting next to this person. They are cool. And the cool person whips out their Bible halfway on Marta and starts reading out of the Gospel of John and you're like, what is that? Why is it red and black? That's the Bible. Why are you reading the Bible? The next day, there is an athlete that you respect, and you hear that athlete talking about their faith in a way that sounds odd to you because you're thinking, you've already got it all, man. And that person's talking about how there's something more. You're like, weird. And then you go to lunch with your roommate, and your roommate's brother shows up, which you've never even met him before. He comes from out of town, and he looks normal. And he starts telling this long story about how his life was falling apart, and he met Christ, and Christ started rearranging his life in a way he could have never dreamed of or imagined. He doesn't even know where you're coming from. He's not trying to win you over to anything. He's just telling a story of the power of what Jesus is doing in his life. And now triangulation starts to happen, and you're like, whoa, it was just my crazy religious freak dental hygiene. And then it was this guy on television that I respect talking about it. Then there was the guy on the train that looked normal with the Bible. Like, why do normal people have a Bible? And then it's my roommate's brother telling me about how he got free of all this stuff in his life because of Jesus. And all of a sudden, it starts adding up to people. God must be real. Jesus must have a plan for me because this is too weird and too coincidental. All these people around me are talking about Jesus. God, are you trying to say something to me? And all of a sudden, the message is so much louder. Because all the people with one mind and with one voice were glorifying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So see, you, you, you and I, we can't make the mistake of saying, I'm just one person over here. You know, I'm, I'm just this little guy, and it's, I'm, not, I'm not making a difference. Of course you're making a difference. Because triangulation is happening in the people who you deal with. Because God is always at work. And they may walk out of your cubicle, and you may think, they don't get it. They don't care. And you don't know they are going to lunch with their roommate's brother who is about to unpack for them the power of the gospel. And you were just a setup by putting his name in the equation so that when lunch came, they would go, oh, wow, this is crazy. God is at work. He's always working. And so we never count out our voice. Knowing that the, the other person at Passion City Church is lifting their voice. And the other person's lifting their voice, and they're lifting their voice, and theirs, 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 and theirs. And all around the city, the name of Jesus is being amplified and being praised. Through all of our multifaceted passions and journeys, one name is being pushed to the top for our whole city and the whole world. To hear. It's like one big awareness campaign. 
And the beauty of it all is that God's not calling us today to win people to Jesus. He's just calling us today to lift up the name of Jesus. We do the lifting. The Spirit of God does the drawing. That's the way it works. Jesus said it this way. I love it. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, And when I am lifted up from the earth, he was talking about his death and crucifixion and his resurrection from the grave. He said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. Jesus understood that it's God's part of the equation to invite us, like to invite Jesus, into the lifting up of the name of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the drawing people to Jesus. So we're all free today, walking away, that no one has to walk out and say, i got to become all things to all men so that by all means I might draw some people to salvation. Now, that's not what Paul meant when he said, I might win some. He said, my job is to lift him up. My job is to play my part. My job is to get into my stream, to be great at what I'm great at, but with the purpose of making Jesus known. That's my job. And when I do that job and you do that job and we do that role and the city starts hearing the name of Jesus, it's not on us to draw people into salvation. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He says, thank you for lifting up Jesus. Now watch me draw people to him. Thank you for lifting up the fact that you know Jesus and have found life in Jesus. Now it's my job to draw people to find life and to know Jesus. Our mission is to know him and make him known, to love him and to make him known, to be loved by him and to make him known. And it's the Holy Spirit's role to draw people into that voice and to do the work in their heart that you and I can't do and to open up their faith to believe in Jesus. But what an incredible invitation today. I'm so excited today. I, could, I literally could just shout. Because God is so good that he's saying to you, do what you love. That's what I want you to do. Do what you're good at. Go through the door that I'm opening in front of you. Don't wrestle with whether it was Kimberly Clark or Kazakhstan. Go through the door. Do what you're good at. Run with your passion. Be uniquely who you are. That's what I want for your life. I want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to wake up in the morning and be alive. I want you to come home at night and be alive. I want you to feel like you're alive in what God wired you up to do. Do that. But I'm also giving you this amazing gift of giving you a purpose. So that at the end of your life, it's more than awards, more than plaques, more than a salary, more than a retirement plan, more than a house, more than the stuff more than fame, more than accolade, more than earthly glory, more than a bottom line or a top line. But at the end of the day, you have something to celebrate that's gonna outlive all the little names on the planet. And here's the thing, they're all going 